It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Dean Harrington, the founder and CEO of Shamrock Home Loans, one of the largest home lending companies in New England. Dean's role is to exemplify the company's five core values and to set vision and strategy for the staff to inspire and engage. Dean began his consumer finance career in 1984, and Shamrock now employs 75 people and has its corporate offices in the Providence area. Dean likes to remind people that Shamrock is God's company and that he was just the first guy to turn the lights on in 1989. Dean is married and has four children. Dean Harrington, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. It's great to be here today. Ah, wonderful to have you here and uh, learn a little bit about you. We haven't met face-to-face yet, although we're just a few miles away up in the Northeast. And as folks are listening to this, we're about eight weeks into quarantine here. And uh, we're all going uh, a little bit uh, nuts in some ways. But also, as Dean had mentioned before, we're just so grateful. Uh, We know that so many people of you out there are suffering. And we hope that uh, today is a day where things are perhaps looking better and brighter for you. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing Dean about uh, his background and his story. And uh, hopefully, I'm sure knowing his personality, we'll have some humorous motion moments as well. So, <laughs> Dean, we always like to get started uh, about your early years. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your family life was like. And, and I'm going to share a fact with everyone that may not come out because I do follow <laughs> Dean's weekly huddle. He is one of five children. He's the oldest. And all of their names start with D. Isn't that correct, Dean? Very good, Brian. I, uh, you passed the test easily. Yeah. And uh, I think the more interesting part of it, five children born in four years. Oh my gosh. Irish uh, twins, all of you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and true twins to settle the math in the middle. Yeah. And of high school sweethearts that married at age 31, which qualifies my dad as the, the greatest salesman in all time history. <laughs> uh, we grew, oh, up, we grew up just outside of Providence. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a typical if I can say that, Irish Catholic background. Sure. Dad was a working man, a blue collar, white collar. What was yeah. his background? Dad was a fascinating guy. My yeah. dad was a uh, salesman with Procter & Gamble. Oh, really? He was, uh, huh? Yeah, he was a and g guy. He was- uh, I am too, by the way. I, I spent my first 10 years of my career there. So got a lot of respect for Proctoids. <laughs> yeah, they do a phenomenal job in hiring. They do. I've got to say, I've, re- I've met so many gifted people over the years. Um, and my dad was interesting because he was not a college graduate mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he was not qualified for the job, yeah. but he, he pestered them and was willing to take a Northern 
Vermont um, territory. <laughs> Sales territory, which nobody else wanted probably, no, right? No, nobody else wanted to work <laughs> in Canada. So, oh, good uh, for him. What, what division was he in? What kind of products was he selling? Uh, food products. So yeah. food and paper was merged back yeah. then, I think. Yeah. So he, we had plenty of Charmin right. around and we had... We had Pringles, Pringles before everyone Pringles, else did. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he was quite a guy, and he, you know, he ran the local Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, mm. and because he did that, we the the uh, local affiliates met in church basement. So my dad mm. felt it was right that if we were going to meet in a in his church basement, that he would be willing to go to any church of any member of his of his troop, right? That was not Catholic. So, he, and of course, he decided he was going to take his oldest son with him. Okay. Uh, which was me. So we ended up <laughs> spending a lot of time in a Methodist church, uh, huh. a Baptist church, Zion Bible, going to different services as a kid, even though my dad was on the bishop's advisory board in the Catholic church. So right. he was a great man of the Lord. He passed away at age 59, 30 years mm. ago last oh month. Oh my gosh, so young. Yeah. yeah. And my, my mom passed away when, when I was in high, a senior in high school. Um, she got sick and, and passed away quite early. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So my upbringing was a little bit um, challenging at times, right. uh, being the oldest of five. I, yeah. I think I was, a, I think at some point along the way I said, uh, you know, I was an adult from birth. I was going to say you stepped into that parental role pretty early on, right? A lot of babysitting and looking after the younger ones. Yeah, I did. And um yeah. You know, it served me well, and I was yeah. I was blessed to be able to do it. I'm still very close to my siblings. Um, yeah, I have two brothers and, and one sister. The second one had passed ten years ago, but okay. we uh, were still incredibly close, and uh, I'm blessed to have them. That sounds in my like you grew up in a in a church faring uh, spiritual household. Uh, did that continue through your high school years as well? And did you stay close to the Lord uh, into your early years of work? Yeah, I never left church. Uh -huh. I did have a moment in in 1991 where God put it on my heart very clearly, Ephesians two eight nine, that uh, I needed to be in a more biblically based church community mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, rather than what I would consider a sacramental based community in the in right. the Catholic Church. Right. So, being the good the good steward of the Lord's word, I. Uh, Ignored that for about a decade, <laughs> and I decided. As most of us do, uh, yeah, at some point. <laughs> and I stayed. I stayed in. You know, I did not join a church community that was biblically based until about a decade later. Okay, um, and began to recognize that uh, you know God was sovereign over every part of my life, yeah. and that uh, I didn't have to do the work. He was. The work has already been done, he was as there. we know. Yeah. Well, and your in your uh, earthly dad obviously had a pretty big impact on you. What were some of the earlier memories you had about some of the inspirational things that he either said or did? My earliest memory of anything that I have not forgotten hmm. was when Richard Nixon was going through his trials with Watergate. Oh yeah. That my dad sat us down on the kitchen table, and at that point, we're in a second floor apartment with seven of us in there, hmm. including a dog and a cat. And he sat down, myself and my my other my my second oldest, my brother, and taught us about the word wisdom, mm. and said that Nixon could have all of the knowledge in the world, all of the uh, academic knowledge and even experiential knowledge, but wisdom comes from God, and mm. he's absent wisdom, and he I, I'll never forget that. I, mean, I was eleven yeah. years old when yeah. he said that to me, or Very twelve astute. years old. Yeah. And uh, so that was a big part of my dad's teaching um, mm -hmm. to us was 
was wisdom and it comes from God and you need it or you're going to stray and get in trouble. Yeah, very good. Any other people that were inspirational to you in your early years, you know, a former coach or a teacher or maybe, you know, someone from the church that you remember that also provided some uh, good insights and direction early on? I would say the next group of people that really influenced me was when I was in high school, I was not a good student. I was a decent student through middle school, but we had a really difficult period in my parents' marriage with a lot of drinking and a lot of um, a lot of turmoil that I found myself breaking up a lot of nights, mm. playing the oldest role. And so there was a lot of chaos and yeah. school became a place where I felt exposed that other mm. people have normal families and I don't. And so I'm, I'm making an excuse for myself that I therefore became less of a student and where I really found my confidence and where I really found where I wasn't exposed for having a dysfunctional home life was work. And mm. I joined a, a supermarket chain on the day the blizzard of 78 hit. <laughs> and so I was able to, being only a mile from the store, I was able to get there by foot throughout most of the day. So I, I, I got a, a leg up on all the people that couldn't get to work. So I got promoted right. quickly. And the influences that I had were in the, the guys that I worked for there mm. who had taught me that being on time, working hard, being reliable, um, always studying for the next position. They didn't say it that way, but that's the message I got. Yeah. Um, was very formidable. I stayed at that job for eight years and nine months. How old are you, 14, 15 years old? Or? I started there when I was 15. Wow. wow. So it was uh, 16, excuse me. So 16. it was it was a formidable part of my upbringing. Yeah. And there was there were leaders there that, that they came to work every day. They, they did the right thing. They rewarded consistent daily behavior. Mm. Um, and it just, I found my footing. I found my confidence. It was never in school. I didn't finish college, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but I was a, I was a reader and a self-taught person. My mother really leaned into me to start reading early on in life. Yeah. And I was reading novels at 11 or 12 years old. And yeah. to this day, I still read yeah. a little bit better than a book a week. And it sounds like that job was very much an extended family. I mean, eight years that took you into your early twenties. I still have friendships from that yeah. job. And That's that job fabulous. was 1976 to 1985. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I look, it's funny, I look for obituaries in the paper for guys that that were in that chain. We had 95 employees in there. And if I yeah. see one, it touches my heart mm. in a way that uh, very few deaths do. Yeah, yeah. Anything outside of work? Were you involved in sports, you know, yeah. music, theater? Tell me a little bit about that. I was a sports kid and I was a sports okay. fanatic. Yeah. What um, was your favorite, the, the player to watch? Well, it's funny. I, I love following baseball. Okay. I loved playing basketball, but I really have a passion for the sport of football. So mm. it's kind of three ways there. Yeah. yeah. My, high, my high school career did not take off. This was another unsettling thing for me. And right. I went to, believe it or not, Brant, I graduated high school with 792 kids. Oh, wow. That's a big class. And the class behind me was 800 and the one behind that was like 850. Oh my gosh. So, so we went double, we went double sessions Yeah. and go ahead and try to make that basketball team. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I was, a, I was a good basketball player. I was a, yeah. a consistent in elementary and middle school. I was considered a, a, a really good basketball player. Right, right. Try to make that team in your junior and senior year yeah. when you've got the size of a college. So sports was important to me, um, but my career ended like everybody's. The, it's funny. The president of Shamrock Home Loans is a is a former Major League Baseball player. All right, and 
he says to us, well, you say all the time that very, very, very few people, close to nobody, ends their sports career when they want to. No, <laughs> and he said, true. He said, Whether yours, it's professional yours just, or amateur. Yeah, he said, yours just ended in high school. <laughs> yeah. um, he said, mine ended at age 30. I didn't want it to end, yeah. but it ended there. So right, right. It, was, it was a good sobering comment by him. Yeah. So you said you gave college a try. Yeah, I did. I probably that, did 60 credits. Okay. Along was the way. that in Rhode Island or where did it you It was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went to a and, community college. And, and working then, uh, full time, I imagine as well. At the same time. Working full time right through yeah. 35 hours. You had to stay yeah. under that bar to stay out of full time back then. And right. Right. a couple of those weeks had to be 30 hours to stay yeah. under the yeah. union requirement. But yeah, working a lot. And then I, I held a paper route till I was 22. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, that's, that's arrested development, if you've ever heard of it. Huh? <laughs> well, it's good income, right? It, it was, was same same area as well, the yeah. same customers over those years. Yeah, I have an interesting story about my dad now that I think about it. So one of my paper routes was a Sunday paper route. Right. Had 130 papers. And you can't carry those. You know, you, right. have to be, you have to be driven around. So my dad yeah. drove me around from the time I was 11 till the time I was 17 when I started driving, almost 18. Yeah. And he would make me order 140 newspapers. <laughs> and when I was done, he would, on the ride back to our house, which was probably three quarters of a mile, he would stop at doors and I would knock on them until I was finished selling the 10 that I didn't have on my route. Really? Yeah. Wow. Obviously, ter territory was not a big guy deal yeah. to a guy that had to, to work in Northern Vermont to get his P&G start. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, wow. So I love I, it. I just always have a, a, a Great deal of gratitude to my dad yeah. for building that kind of muscle in me. Well, we're going to get to a minute, Shamrock, because I know you've been doing that for a number of years, but you had a couple of jobs prior to that. Uh, and, and I think they kind of were in the homeowning mortgage yeah. business, right? Tell us a little bit about those early years. Yeah, completely accidental. I wasn't done with college. I didn't know if I wanted to finish, but next door to my dad's house, uh, two guys started mortgage companies out of that house. The first wow. guy sold the house to his vice president, who then started his mortgage company. Hmm. And both of them had approached me when I was 21 and said, hey, you'd be really good in consumer finance, <laughs> but you can't come into our mortgage companies. You got to go into a finance company first. So I started interviewing. By age 23, I was able to get a job in a, a, uh, a large national consumer finance company with now a, that was was that homeowners? No, that was a, that was Avco Loan and Investment Bank, which was okay. a division Before of Avco that. Finance, yeah. Yeah. which was a division of Textron, which is a Providence company. So right. it felt right at home. I did two years there and learned a ton about consumer finance, hmm. um, and then went on to homeowners funding, which was the neighbors company. Okay, got it. So you got your training. Now, why did he yeah. need you to go there before he, he'd hire you? He said. Uh, that was the background that both of those guys came from. That was the training. Huh? Yeah. One came yeah. from household finance. One came from beneficial finance. Those of you that have some age will remember those companies. <laughs> and they believed it was the, the, the formidable uh, minor leagues for consumer finance. And, you know, ultimately they were right. I mean, you, the first thing you learned was you did collections first because right. they taught you that if you touch a hot stove, maybe you'll learn about cooking. And if you, <laughs> if you, if you had to collect loans, they were, because they were behind, they were probably not loans well-made. Right. So that when you did have some approval authority, you had some knowledge. It was really brilliant. Yeah. Um, and it's the thing that's actually absent in my industry now, because it's been so securitized and, you know, loans get sold down the pipeline. There's no collection focus to it. Right. 
Yeah, I grew up with a loan uh, well closed is half collected. People look at me like I just quoted something from the 18th century when I say that. <laughs> so from there, uh, on to another opportunity. Now, was that a company you founded? I think that was Mortgages Unlimited, correct? Yeah, that was an interesting story. So what the top sales guy at Homeowners Funding decided to go out and start his own company and invited me to be part of it. I was ready to make a jump to a big national bank at that point. Right. Um, and reneged on the offer. It's one of the most embarrassing things I've done in my life, um, career-wise. I accepted the position, but in the final interview, um, the head of the entire division asked me why I didn't finish college. Mm. And I said, you know, it just wasn't for me. And yeah, you know, I, I, I went through with just timing with my mom's passing and the sure. chaos. My dad got sick right after that, never returned to work. I was the oldest mm. of five and I just, I, I wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't feel that I was a good student in that setting. So she, you know, get to the end. She says, well, we're going to offer you the job. So um, congratulations. She said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, well, you asked me about not finishing. Is that going to be an issue? Mm. And she said, uh, yeah, you won't get promoted. Really? She said, but you'll, you'll have to go back and we'll pay for it. Huh. So this was like a, wow. uh, this was like, say it was the 15th of the month and I agreed to start on Monday, the 28th. Yeah. Yeah. And on that morning, Brant, I did something I still can't believe I did. I called and said, I'm not taking the job. Right. right. Horrifying, yeah. immature, poorly planned. I was whatever I was, 26 years old, 28 years old. So I took the job with Mortgages Unlimited. Right. Because and he, he didn't have any money to pay me. He said, look, I'll give you a draw for eight weeks. You're going to sell mortgages. I hadn't done that. I, I hadn't done any selling yet. I had done right, everything on the right. other on the op side. He said, you'll be fine at it. And I did that for two years until they decided they were going to kind of retire, the two owners. But they never did retire. I got a little nervous, so I incorporated Shamrock mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. the idea that I would at least have it in my back pocket right. in case they, they flew the coop. And right. lo and behold, they found out about it and they fired me. Oh. And then enforced a, an 18-month non-compete agreement, which wouldn't sound enforceable, but they had all of the investor relationships that I was going to sell to. Of course, yeah. So and they, they could said, block look, you. Yeah. They, they kinda, and you know what? Again, I didn't handle it well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I should have said, look, I'm going to incorporate this. It's just going to be on the side in case either of you two guys decide this is over. I just want some protection. Um, but I didn't do that. I, I just did it on the side, put it in the desk. It was a year later that they found out. It's kind mm. of funny. They didn't find out when I did it. They found out when the renewal for my license came up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the state sent the renewal to their office instead of right. mine. Right. So go, what's this? Oh. So Shamrock was born in a storm. Yeah. I sat out 18 months, did a bunch of odd jobs, everything from 1-800 teddy bears to uh, <laughs> working in the uh, banking crisis as putting little uh, QR code stickers on uh they, would, they wouldn't be QR codes then. They were the stickers, you, the the things you see in grocery stores on sure. items on right, every right. single piece of paper involved in every file with a banking collapse. Wow. So, and that brought me to Shamrock. Now, and I uh, opened yeah. up and said, okay, I'll never take for granted making cold calls again. Right. <laughs> or I'll never take for granted not having, you know, I'll never take for granted anything. Do you remember the first time you started uh, managing people? Where where would that been, Dean? Uh, I'm going to give you a strange answer. Probably uh, age 15. Okay. For right. my brother, for my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Things were really chaotic, and I began to 
manage them. Then when I, if you wanted a career answer, it would have been at Avco, probably within a couple of months of me being there. I didn't realize it at the time, but managing people is really about making people better. That's right. And if you can make someone better at something, um, you're already leading them. You may not have the title of manager, but I had developed a, um, a reputation of someone that when you were given a task at Avco in their training program, I, I found a way of being able to articulate it in a certain way and mm. a, maybe even finding a, a better way of doing it without being that disruptive kid that right. knows everything. And so yeah, I was able to go up to other guys as they came in the company over the couple of years I was there and say, hey, look, I, I, I know that this is a nice way to do this. Like when somebody comes in for a closing, don't let them get into the conference room. Go up and greet them as they walk in the door. Right. Little things like that. So sure. all of a sudden you're managing people because you're teaching them and helping them be better. So I, I think that's where I probably started that. But at homeowners, I actually was funding. I was actually put in charge of people the day I walked in the door. Right. I, was, I was hired to do that. Fabulous. And were these people typically that were older than you? That yeah, I replaced yeah. a guy that was 45 when I was 26. Wow. And it wasn't handled perfectly, but I think it was handled the way. So I, I was brought in, sat in the back of the room, knowing I was replacing him in two weeks. He knew I was replacing him, but they wouldn't tell the staff till the final day that he was going. He was so gracious mm. and so professional. You talk about learning from somebody. Yeah. You know, he did nothing wrong, but you know, I had a neighbor that really wanted me there and former neighbor and knew I would do a good job and right. thought it was time to make a change. And what were some of the earliest lessons that you learned from some of those former bosses and mentors that you respected? Um, I'd say the biggest lesson that I learned is to identify your strengths and stay in those rather than trying to fix your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's cute. Peter Drucker 101. Yeah. But I had some guys early on that said, look, you're not good at that. Get out of the way. <laughs> Let me do this. Yeah. Uh, go work on this. You're good at this. Um, and I th think the bigger lesson though was don't stray out of your lane. Um, that owner that I had at Homeowners, who was a gifted man, had the company for a lot of years, you know, probably two decades at that point. He would come in and try to tell underwriters that they weren't making a good decision on a loan when he hadn't touched a loan in 15 years. Wow. And so he became that guy. Hmm. So I said, look, one of the things I'm going to learn when I have my own company or I'm leading people is I will not try to be an expert where I am no longer an expert. You know, we, we both know this, right, in business that to get to an executive role and to do it for a long time, you have to atrophy some of your knowledge. That's right. Either through purposeful delegation or moving on to other things. So, you know, I'm in a home lending business right now. I don't, I can't underwrite a loan. I can't even process a loan right now. Right. I've done it in 20 years. You wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to, but <laughs> I don't try to. Right, right. And I don't try to go tell my managers that you're making a bad decision with that. So that's yeah. the lesson I learned. It's kind of a negative lesson. He would try to do that. So I said, I, I don't ever want to that's be that guy. That's not going to be me. Yeah. And so yeah. those are the two big lessons. Stay in your strengths and, and don't try to do what you used to know about if you don't currently know about yeah. it. So Shamrock, as you said, was was founded in a storm uh, over 30 years ago, and you've yep. been very successful, obviously, in growing that. Tell us a little bit about the business today. How many employees, kind of where, you know, where, what your span of operations are? Uh, 75 employees. Oh. Uh, in our industry, considered small. Um, yep. 
you know, 07 and 08 kind of purged our industry by two thirds. Sure. Um, so were, we're you able small, to hold on to your employees during that period? We had 65. We went down to 28. Wow. Tough. Without firing anybody. Yeah. Or laying anybody off. They just left. Yeah. <laughs> right. The industry went from something to nothing in a, yeah. a very, it was a very scary time. Right. Um, we operate in eight states, but we're principally in three states, Connecticut, Mass, and Rhode Island are our biggest right. by, by far. Yeah. Purchases are our, our biggest product. Um, but we do a lot of refinances, especially now with rates low. Uh, I've got a management team that all have been here over a decade and some have been here 20 years. Mm. So I have, I've been blessed with senior leadership that have been through 91, uh, well, they weren't through 91, but they were through 97, which was a recession period in our industry. A lot of, a lot of SNL problems, a lot of right. banking problems. Uh, 01, obviously with, with uh, 9-11. 08, the housing crisis. Yeah. And, and now we have COVID-19. I, I, I think we have COVID some, <laughs> some, somebody the other day said to me, hey, you're going to have to add a, the tw this, this period of time to your little catalog of four. <laughs> Housing crisis. I, said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do yeah. that. But I, the chapter is not fully written yet. Uh, no, we have but to it, wait for that this one. this has been this has been wild. Yeah, for us, like wild beyond what I could have ever presupposed. Mm. We just finished in April our largest month ever. Oh my gosh! You're kidding. Ever. In, in in shelter. In shelter <laughs> with with all but seven employees working from home. Yeah. Yeah. And we moved them home on March 11th. But if you think about it, we just, and I've, the last four months have been just five months really have been very high volume. Right. So if those, we just did an enormous amount of lending to a bunch of people that might go into forbearance quickly. Right. And if, if they do, they boomerang right back at me. Yeah, that's right. At, if they could, sink, they could sink you. Right. It could sure. sink you. Sure. So all this volume is like, Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Right. So, <laughs> you know, to, to use an old sports analogy that, on a shot that goes in, right? Yeah. A bad shot that goes in. But I have trust in the Lord. It's his company. It's not my company. Wow. Crazy and, times. Well, that, that's a good lead in. How, how did you kind of found Shamrock and were there some core values and principles that, um, you know, were important that, that came from your faith? All right. So here's how it went. For the first 20 years of owning the company, a little bit longer, um, God was in my pocket. And mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. I had a great event, I took him out of the pocket and praised him. If I had trouble, struggles, I took him out and prayed to him. That, that, right. you know, my Jesus was uh, to be there for praying my hurts to and praising my victories. Mm. Then I joined C12 in 2014, which I'm sure you're familiar with C12. It's a yeah, national and, and CEO. And for those of us that, that uh, are maybe listening, both Dean and I are members of C12. I'm down in Connecticut and, and Dean's up in Rhode Island. It's a, it's a CEO peer advisory group. I think we're international now, right? We've got yep, a number we of members, uh, close to 25, 2,600 members. And um, we, we are all uh, Christian business owners. And, and you've been involved how long, Dean? Since 2014. Oh, since 2014. So quite a while. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so and how did that change things what, up? That told me, informed me instantly that I am not the CEO. God's, this is God's company. Mm. I am just his steward. Right. And can you imagine running a business with, as, a, as a, a man of faith, a, a, somebody who declares that Christ is my Lord and Savior and not really thinking that way? That mm. was how 
foolish I was. Yeah. Um, well, that was your comment about in the pocket, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. not what it is. Right. And I was never more pleased about promoting somebody or demoting somebody, myself, to a position where this was his company and I would simply seek him on everything I wanted. And I could, if we had an hour or two hours, I could tell you some God stories in Shamrock that would mm. blow your mind. Like, <laughs> th like it's not possible. You, that couldn't have happened. Yes, it did. Um, I did a speech to New Canaan Society uh, back in January to uh, both the one in Manhattan and the one in, in, in uh, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Telling them, I'll tell it very quickly. Uh, here, w in 2006, I was ready to buy a, an enormous building and renovate it to move Shamrock's two locations into one. And it failed uh, the roofing expect the roof inspection and part of the, the heating and electrical. The actual building, right? Yeah, it, it, it didn't pass. Right. So I went back to the, the guys and I said, look, I, I, we need to have some cure on this. We need to adjust sales price accordingly. They said, look, you're past your uh, due diligence period. You're out oh, outside right. of contract. We can keep you, we'll keep you a deposit. Oh, so goodness. this thing dragged out into 07. It's in a late part of 07 and mm. they wouldn't budge. And they said, you're not going to walk on this. And I said, yeah, I am. Mm. And so we were doing about 125 mortgage loans a month when I walked. Mm. 90 days later, we were doing 35. Wow. And if I had that building and the nut on that building. <laughs> oh my gosh. It'd have been all over. That's a God shot. <laughs> and I... I I've got 10 of those stories yeah. during my career and I'm not exaggerating. Right. And so he's always been there. He's, he's, he's always been provident in everything that we do. But C12 taught me to, to recognize that you don't have to just see him in the rearview mirror. Mm. You can see him in the windshield. Right, right. If you, if you stay connected, if you stay abiding, if you stay John 15, right? Just stay abiding and you can rely on it. What's really cool about it is that my senior leadership has been fully behind that organizational chart change. That's great. And that's something. Yeah. Fantastic. And they're not necessarily believers. Right. Right. How, how has your leadership style changed, particularly within these last 10 years? Uh, far less on someone's technical ability and far mm. more on who they are as people. Mm. Um, Cultural fit, core value alignment. Yes. And yeah. we're an EOS company. Those that don't know EOS. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's easy to, enough to explain it when you have time, but uh, you know, it's an entrepreneur operating system. Really should be said backwards. It's a system for operating an entrepreneurship. Right. We've been right. operating on that since 2015. So we, we hire far more. Now it's funny. It's funny, Brant. I, this was right there for me to understand, but again, I'm not, it takes a while with me sometimes. We didn't hire people from inside the industry. When mm. I started Shamrock, we only hired outside the industry. Really? Because I wanted the most talent I could get. I said, look, right. give me the most talented people, put them in the room, we'll win. I could teach them the business. The business isn't hard. Well, once the housing crisis happened, coming out of the housing crisis, the business was hard, mm. really hard. And you couldn't necessarily do that from really 08 through Dodd-Frank right. in right. 12 and 13. But you at the same, the experience, yeah. You had to have some yeah. knowledge. Right. Right. And we didn't have enough volume to go ahead and take the hit while you learn the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we couldn't go upside down on you. And that started to change in 12 and 13 for us, 14. Right. And we started investing in young people, made a whole bunch of mistakes, uh, began to understand how to hire and how to get people in here. But so now we're hiring back the same way you used to. 
outside the industry. Mm, interesting. So we've always been built on this knowledge that it's who they are, not what they yeah, are. It's right. not, that's not their technical skills. It's, um, it's who they are as people. Mm-hmm. So we're returning to our, to our foundation, our DNA, our ancestry in, in doing it this way. So it's all about five core values. You've got to, you got to be a plus in those f- five core values most of the time. Uh, you can have one plus minus where you like that sometimes and not others, but we're going to create a corrective path for you. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. In the, yeah. A year ago, we fired our top salesperson for 18 years over core values. Wow. The year before, a 14-year-long, probably the best underwriter in the industry. And we worked with them. You know, God doesn't want us to just throw people away. We worked with them, saw that they were not going to fit the core values. There was just Mm. nothing we could do. And we took the step of firing them. The industry thinks we're crazy. Hmm. Tell us about your core values, Dean. uh, We have five. Mm -hmm. Um, You could have it. We don't pick five just because there were five. What we did is we, we, we did them in typical EOS style is... We identified the people over the years that have succeeded the most. Right. And we said, right. all right, what, what characteristics do they have in common? And then we've reworded them differently at times. But so the, one of the core values is um, consistent daily demeanor, which we define kind of as be approachable. Be somebody that's approachable. Another one is positive influence. That is not positive attitude. Positive influence is be someone that makes others better. Mm. Another one is um, server's heart which we consider to be someone that's willing to listen and able to share. Right. Um, because we think both things are important to have a heart. You, if you're just sharing all the time, it's all about you. If you're just listening, you're not interacting. There's no vulnerability component. Another one is intellectual curiosity, which mm-hmm. is somebody that we want to love to learn. Right. That, that you know, Learning is critically important, especially for people that have never been in our business, right? You've got to love to learn. And the final one is resourcefulness, which we define as be able to defend all the work you've done to get an answer before involving someone else. Hmm. Um, really self-starting, right? In that regard. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. don't come in and say, hey, what's the guideline on cash out on a Fannie Mae loan right now with uh, you know, a 680 credit score and a 40% debt ratio? Right. The question you're going to get is, did you look it up in the Fannie Mae yeah, guidelines? Right, right. It's I couldn't find it. Did you Google it? <laughs> um, yeah. And that really comes and by the time co- you get to that second question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that you're right. not, because remember, what are core values? Core values are what do we expect of one another. Sure. And they're there. They define your culture. They are your brand. So my biggest job in this company is to be the cult core value warrior. Mm-hmm. W-A-R, not W-R. Right, and right. I've got to make sure that what we expect of one another is held up tight. So I've got mm. 75 people here. If I bring in number 76, I'm promising the other 75 that I found someone that will play right in the sandbox. Right, right. And that will so meet important. our core values. If there's someone that's not resourceful and they need to go to eight other people to get something that they could have learned themselves. I, we dismissed a person three months ago on this mm. and where it was... Where it was relevant is using the Shamrock All email, which hits all 75, to ask questions that you could have looked up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and been told, look, you can't do that. Right. And then not doing that, but saying, all right, well, I got the answer from Mary, but I'm now going to go ask Ron, Brett, (laughs) and Morgan just to be sure. 
Right. That's a violation of resourcefulness. Yeah, absolutely. It's also a violation of a few other things. But, yeah. <laughs> um, bothering other people when they yeah, should be doing just, some other work. <laughs> well, posi po positive influence. We define that right. as making people around you better. How did that make anybody better when you just did that? Yeah, yeah. So, Dean, one, that's one of the things that we spoke about when we first spoke a couple of months ago planning the podcast was how impressed I was with what I saw as your weekly huddle. And then I was learned, uh, led to learn that it's actually a daily huddle where you literally get in front of all 75 folks and you share, mm -hmm. you know, about a minute or two of your background and your thoughts for that day. And, and on LinkedIn, in fact, those of you that are listening, please go to uh, Shamrock Home Loans on the, on the LinkedIn company page and you can see a whole series of Dean's weekly summaries. Um, you know, that's just such a brilliant way in terms of spreading company culture and making sure people understand what it's all about. How did you come around to, to that uh, oh. decision? How long have you been doing that, the huddle? Well, thank you. It'll be uh, two years in September. Fantastic. I had felt a little disjointed from the staff and we had just come through a couple of years where we really weren't progressing. And a lot of that had to do with the industry was a little bit um, flat. Right. The market right. was a little bit flat. Yeah. And I was restless and I, you know, we have several other offices mainly with, you know, two and three people in them. Yeah. So I wasn't in Different front of everybody. So I said, look, I, yeah. I got a lot to say and I just don't feel like it's getting said. And I, I don't think we're celebrating enough. Mm. So the huddle that you see that I do once a week externally is not quite the same as the one I do internally, pretty close. Internally, we read the closings from the day before. Of course. Yeah. And we go through our referrals, who we got referrals from, mm. and we Facebook live it to the rest of the company. There's about 50 of us are here, 70, you know, 28 or 30 outside the office. And, and you do that first thing in the morning? We do that at uh, 9 a.m. 9 a.m. We bounced yeah. around time-wise. Yeah, um, yeah. 9 a.m. is the time we're doing it right now. But during the COVID time, we've done it. We're just doing it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but we... so. I do that. All I all I'm doing is covering those, and then whatever I have to pour in to my company. I've got you know thirty plus years of experience, so as you see with the huddle, it's a different topic all the time. All right, all right, and it's just trying to empty my cup. You know, we think about filling somebody else's cup. That's not really our job, mm -hmm, because to fill mm -hmm. somebody else's cup, you really have to know how full is it. Are they holding it with both hands? That's right. Um, have they have they already taken a big sip and yeah, they can't right. take anymore? What have they been drinking? <laughs> yeah. So uh, our job yeah. is to empty our cup. So all mm. I'm trying to do at this stage of my career at almost 60 years old is say, okay, I got a lot to say. Let me just try to get it out in little pieces, um, two to three minutes. And then once a week, I'll whatever one I did, I'll just recreate it for the public. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fabulous. I really enjoy it. I've, I've been watching it, not every week, I must say, but regularly since uh, you and I were connected on LinkedIn and had a chance to review that. I really think it's one of the best culture building exercises I've seen. Do you guys Thank you. get a lot of good feedback from, from staff about it? And you know, it's funny. That? I don't get much fat feedback from staff, Okay, but I get a lot of feedback from our referral partners and from sure. people outside the building. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's, the reason I don't get feedback from the staff, I think, is it's just starting it's to- It's part of what they, yeah. Yeah, and it's accumulating. Yeah, sure. And I try not to do every huddle. You know, less of me is more is more of me. Right. Um, I like to say my absence is my greatest contribution. <laughs> so you bring so, in some of your other key staff. Yeah. So right, uh, right. My, my daughter, who's the processing manager here, did the huddle this morning. Oh, cool. And she's six months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> with, my, with my first grandchild. So she handled that. And yeah. um, the other thing we do right after it, and it, it 
I finished the huddle every day with it, prayer in the conference room. Mm. And so with this time, we're doing prayer by Zoom and the attendance has doubled. Wow. Isn't that great? Terrific. Yeah. What, that, what, a, what a terrific um, result. And of course, you know, everybody needs that at the stage, right? Yeah, they do. Um, I think they're, they're recognizing it. Yeah, they're, they're looking further and further. Well, Dean, the, the time has just flown by, uh, but we always have one last question. We ask all our CEO guests, and what career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like you and, and you know, found their own company someday? Um. I would say don't have your eye on the corner office, first of all. And I, I mean that sincerely right. because that won't get you to the corner office. Mm, um, so true. What'll get you to the corner office is making other people better. Mm. Making other people better means finding out what they need to improve on and go f figuring it out. Uh, never stop reading, never stop doing podcasts, never stop learning um, and get up early. <laughs> get up early. There are very few successful CEOs in the business world, in other areas they probably are, that are asleep until 7, 30, 8 o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Dean Harrington, uh, founder and CEO of Shamrock Home Rollins, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brad, it's been great. You've been a joy to spend some time with. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 